0: Uh, oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Love. Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. I think I used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you'll like football. Well, I right. say I'm a pretty big football fan and I despise <laughs> the Steelers. Okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for FPT Overtime.
1: Welcome back to another exciting episode of Sports Power Talk Overtime. If you are listening... You read the title, you know what's going on. Jake and I are back, and we are ready to bring you our predictions and breakdowns for UFC 281 this Saturday in New York City at the arena where fighters become legends, Madison Square Garden. This card is headlined by a huge title fight between Israel Adesanya taking on Alex Pajeda. Jake, I know I'm excited for this card, maybe even more than I was for UFC 280. How are you feeling?
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for this card. Of course, every single card that City Kickboxing takes a role in is always exciting. Alex, I know you're a big City Kickboxing guy, so it's going to be a fun show, and hopefully the fights on Saturday are even better.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very, very excited. I do love City Kickboxing. Let's just get right into it with the first fight on this card. It's a lightweight bout between Dan the Hangman Hooker taking on Claudio Poyez. Jake, I'll give it right over to you. Who do you have in this fight?
0: Yeah, the Hooker, the New Zealand man. He's 21 and 12 with 10 wins by KO, 7 by submission and at 12 first round finishes. He's lost 4 of his last 5 fights and he's been finished in the first round in 3 of those fights, 3 of those fights. Most recent losses have come against the best of the best though, in Poirier, Chandler, Makashev, and in his last fight, Arnold Allen where he was knocked out halfway into the first round. I didn't really understand the move down to featherweight for Hooker, especially when it came against such a game opponent in Allen. But now he's back to lightweight. I think we're all looking to see the resurrection of the hangman who has had simply incredible fights against guys like Paul Felder and Dustin Poirier. He has a 78% takedown defense, which I think could come into play against Poyas on Saturday night in New York. Poyes, the Peru native, is 13-2 with seven wins by submission. He finds himself on a five-fight winning streak after losing his UFC debut, almost exactly six years from his fight this Saturday night at MSG. His last fight was a first-round submission win over Clay Guida in April. And you know you're doing something right when you're submitting a guy like Clay Guida, and it's your it's only your sixth fight in the UFC. As a 26-year-old, he seems to have found his signature submission as well as his last three submission wins have come via knee bar, has an average fight time of 1057, trains out of Kill Cliff FC, formerly known as Sanford MMA, and he lands over 50% of his strikes, but he has a terrible negative striking differential as he lands under two strikes per minute. As for my prediction, I think that if Dan Hooker can avoid the infamous knee bar of Claudio Poez, then I see Hooker winning. That's easier said than done, but Hooker can be a hard fighter to take down, and he's only been submitted once in his career, which was against Islam Makhachev. Hooker is more experienced, lengthy, and he throws enough variety on the feet to where I think he can control the fight standing, which is where I ultimately think this fight goes.
1: So, you're taking Hooker?
0: I'm taking Hooker.
1: Yeah, I'm also gonna take Hooker here. He's a very tough fighter, and for a while he was supposed to be the UFC's like next prospect. Like Dan Hooker, this is gonna be the next big champion, but he's always struggled against the best guys. He's like one in four in his last five fights. He is a good kickboxer. Does he has a really good jab? Switches stances a lot and throws really smart strikes. Uh, You had a great breakdown for Claudius, good wrestling, good BJJ, can strike if he needs it, averages 2.74 takedowns a fight, but only a 38% takedown accuracy, and this is supposed to be a tune-up fight for Dan Hooker, that's what this is, and that's what I think it will be, Dan has a 78% takedown defense, and is the way better striker, so I'm assuming this fight does stay standing, as well Jake and I am also going to give it to Dan Hooker here in our opening bout.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I give a little bit more respect to Poyez. I don't think it's necessarily a tune-up fight, but I think it's a fight that Dan Hooker absolutely has to win. I think Poyez has looked better on the feet as of lately in his recent fights, but really I think the only way for him to win is to get the fight to the ground. And like I said, Hooker's not a fighter that has notoriously been easy to take down to the canvas.
1: Yeah, I don't think Claudio is a tune-up opponent by any means, but the UFC is basically saying, hey— Look, you're supposed to you were supposed to be our guy. You can't get the job done. Can you beat this guy to at least show us that you got something left? That's kind of what I mean. So it'll still be a very tough matchup for him. But in the first bout, it looks like we are both going to take the hangman here. Going into our next fight at 135 bantamweight, we got the answer. Frankie Edgar taking on Chris Gutierrez, Jake Give me your breakdown. Give me your predictions here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I really have to break down Frankie Edgar. He's a legend. He's 23-10 and and won with a majority of his wins coming via decision. Edgar's a legend in the game of MMA. He made his debut at UFC 67, and he even graduated college and started fighting when I was just four years old. He's not or he has a great story for being a plumber-turned-former-lightweight champion with two title defenses, so it's great to see him in a position to end his career on Saturday night in front of his hometown fans. Unfortunately for Edgar, he's lost five of his last seven fights. It has regressed in the latter part of his MMA career. His last fight, we know, was that round three KO loss to Marlon Chido Vera. Edgar looked pretty good in that fight. He outstruck Vera, landed a takedown in all three rounds, but couldn't avoid a fight-ending front kick from a fighter in Cheeto Vera who was making the case of being one of the most decorated finishers in bantamweight history. Frankie Edgar is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I think he's got a shot at winning based on his absurd strength of schedule and how he looked for the majority of his last fight against Vera. For Gutierrez, he's 18-3-2 with nine wins by KO and three first-round finishes. He has a ton of experience fighting for four different promotions, and he's 6-1-1 in the UFC after losing his debut as the first fight of the night on a card in November 2018. His last fight was a round-two knockout win last March. Gutierrez could have been put away at the end of the first round if there was more time for his opponent, but he came back Right there in the second round, to land an insane spinning back fist with elbows to follow it up for the KO win. He's a freestyle fighter who trains out of Factory X. Has a long average fight time of 12:39. Also, he has a great striking differential as he lands over two more strikes per minute than he absorbs. I know he's a fantastic kickboxer, but it's a, but an interesting stat about Gutierrez is that he's landed more leg strikes than strikes to the head in his career. So that's something that Edgar should look out for. Also has a 74% takedown defense, which could be employed if Edgar comes out wrestling like he did in his last fight. For my prediction, I don't think it's much of a surprise, but I'm going to go with Gutierrez. I could see him win this one inside the distance, but he has a long average fight time and I think Edgar is going to give this fight all he's got and then some knowing it's the last time he's going to make the walk in his career. I have a lot of respect for Frankie Edgar. I wish that the UFC had a bit more respect for him, too, to where he would be fighting an easier opponent on Saturday night. But rather than laying the gloves down in the middle of the octagon in retirement with a win, I see Gutierrez getting the job done.
1: Yeah, Jake, there's a lot to be said about giving easy opponents to Frankie Edgar, man, because they haven't given him an easy opponent in, like, four or five fights and it, it's pretty wild. Uh, that was a really great breakdown. I have a rule of thumb, Jake. You want to know my rule of thumb? If a guy's 10 years younger than his opponent, then you that guy's probably going to win. You would pick
0: you, the younger guy.
1: Would you say that's a nice, it, no just t- 10 years younger. Would you say it's a good rule of thumb? I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, Frankie Edgar is a legend in the sport. He said he wanted to retire in MSG. I think he wanted uh, Dominic Cruz, which would have been a way cooler fight. Um, but that's not what's happening. But he has been battling. He's been putting in really tough fights, like you mentioned, Jake, but Chris is really good. Those kicks are dangerous. He throws with a lot of volume. He has great cardio, and the strength for the Bantamweight division is really what sets him apart. Uh, 6-1-1 into the UFC, like you mentioned, only losing his debut fight. If Edgar wants to win it, he's got to look for takedowns, maybe depend on his fighter IQ, because he's probably got one of the highest in UFC at this point. But, uh, yeah, I don't think he's ready to compete here, and I don't think he gets the win. So he'll probably be losing in his retirement fight in the UFC. Jake, I want to ask you a question. What are your thoughts on retirement fights?
0: I don't hate them. I just want them to be against opponents that are easier than Chris Alguapo Gutierrez, you know. And Frankie Edgar... I really think he could win on Saturday night. I would not be surprised at all. I mentioned he's lost five of his last seven fights, but he was en route to a decision win over Cheeto Vera in his last fight at Bantamweight. Sure. So I wouldn't be surprised if Edgar wins, but I really do see El Guapo Gutierrez picking up the win on Saturday night. And yeah, I'm fine with uh, retirement fights. Unfortunately, I just don't think it's going to go Edgar's way on uh, Saturday night in front of his hometown fans.
1: Yeah, I'm also okay with um retirement fights. I don't know why there's so many UFC fans that are against the retirement fight. They, you know, maybe they their main argument being they should just retire. They don't have to have a fight to retire, but again, they did this for a living. This is how they get paid and they love the sport. Maybe they want to retire in the cage and they have that opportunity win or lose. So, overall, I'm fine with the retirement fight in most cases. And yeah, like you said, Jake Frankie Edgar could very well take this fight. But just looking at how things are going, even though he's shown glimpses of that old Frankie, he's getting knocked out.
0: Yeah, and two things on retirement fights. I think one thing that fans might have a difficulty with with retirement fights is that this is fighting. You know, if you have a retirement season in the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, the risk for injury or long-term damage isn't really there. Mm -hmm. This is MMA. They're cage fighting. Frankie Edgar has nearly eight hours of cage time in his career. That's absurd. So when you look at that retirement fight in MMA, it might leave a bad taste in people's mouths. But if you're Frankie Edgar, he has a terrible taste in his mouth, literally because Cheeto Vera kicked his head off (laughs) in his last fight. So I don't think Frankie Edgar wants to walk out of the UFC with that being his last fight at all. Instead, I think Frankie Edgar wants to go in there and at least give, him, give it his best shot in his last fight. Like I said, at home, in his backyard, at MSG. It's going to be a huge stage on a main card, on a
1: huge card at all. Yeah, I'm very excited for this, that fight. Even more excited for this fight. I won't call it the people's main event, but definitely just by the names alone, it has the potential to be fight of the year. It's at lightweight, 155. We got Dustin Poirier taking on Michael Chandler. Jake, give me your thoughts on this fight.
0: You really don't consider this the people's main event? I do. No. I think this is the people's main event. I've been looking forward to this fight for so long. Since it was announced, even before it was truly announced when these guys had beef, it's the Diamond Poirier taking on Iron Michael Chandler. I'm super, super excited for Poirier, the Lafayette native, he's 28-7 with one no contest, with 15 wins by KO and 20 wins in the UFC, which is wild. His last fight was a third-round submission loss to Charles Bronx Oliveira. Once again, when put in a title bout, Poirier had to tap away a run in the UFC that impressed just about everyone. He lands nearly six strikes per minute, and he's just good everywhere he can wrestle like he did against Conor mcgregor he can box and outstrike other fighters like he has his entire career also he has some mean leg kicks and chandler was susceptible to leg kicks in his fight against gaethje something that i think is important for ufc 281 is that poirier has experience putting away talented fighters some of which were even favored to beat him in the past for chandler He's 23-7 with 11 wins by KO and 13 first-round finishes. He's 2-2 since joining the UFC from Bellator. And whether he's winning or losing fights, one thing can be guaranteed when he steps in the octagon. The fight is going to be a banger. Last fight was a stunning front kick KO of Tony Ferguson at UFC 274. Ferguson didn't look bad in the first round, but Chandler was able to deliver a knockout of the year candidate, just 17 seconds into the second round. He trains out of Killcliffe MMA again, formerly known as Sanford MMA. So he gets good work in and has the power to drop any opponent. But Chandler has been dropped in many of his fights in the UFC, including to guys like Charles Oliveira, who is not known for his striking, Anthony Ferguson, who, in my opinion, is completely washed at this point of his career. So I do worry about the chin of Michael Chandler. Dustin Poirier is the better boxer who likes to switch stances and put some amazing combinations together. I think the only way Chandler wins is if he can take down Poirier. Dustin is simply too good on the feet, so Michael can use his feints to set up level changes, and then I think he has a shot. But the question is, will he? Will Michael Chandler fight the style of fight that I think is his only chance for victory? My answer is no. He was largely known as a wrestler in Bellator, yet he only has one takedown in the UFC. He even won 33% of his fights in Bellator by submission. For whatever reason, he loves to exchange punches with strikers who are better than him. I expect this fight to be a fight of the night, the people's main event, potentially just as good as Chandler Gaethje, but this is a prediction show, so I'm predicting Poirier to pick up the win.
1: Yeah, thanks for the breakdown, Jake. I've said it before, I'll say it again, I'll say it a million times. Dustin Poirier is the best boxer in UFC. But, but Alex, what, what about Max Holloway? Uh, oh, you mean the guy that's lost to Alexander Volkanovsky three times in striking bouts? Okay, what, what about Peter, Peter Yan? Peter Yan? No. He can't even beat Sean O'Malley. So how is he the best boxer? What about Conor McGregor? You mean the guy that Dustin's beat twice? No. I'm telling you right now, Dustin is the best boxer in UFC. When you look at his fighting IQ mixed with his southpaw stance and that lethal jab, it's beautiful. And he has the BJJ black belt to put the icing on the cake. He also averages a takedown in every single one of his fights. But the narrative with Dustin is that he's really not that good. He's mixed in with that Conor era of UFC where a lot of those guys are at the ends of their careers are washed now. Dustin's thirty-three years old. I don't know where this narrative came from. The only reason I could think it's a thing is because he's mashed in with those guys. He had a great bout with Charles and before Islam was the closest guy to beating Charles at his time. So I don't personally get the the Dustin is washed narrative. Um he's thirty three and he still looks great and he's the best boxer in UFC. Now as for Michael Chandler, Michael Chandler reminds me of the kid that his parents didn't let him drink pop as a kid, and then, like, that kid got a Coca-Cola one day and he was just bouncing off the walls going crazy. Okay. That's what Michael Chandler reminds me of. I mean, he is a very high-output striker. He has great power, but overall, he is a wrestler at heart. His fight versus Justin is honestly one of my favorite fights of all time, uh, and it really showed how tough he is and it showed how he likes to brawl. If you look at his fight versus Tony plays Retire Ferguson, it's kind of iffy because Tony in that first round not only was winning, but he was, was kind of beating up Chandler. So that is something to take in. I get that Chandler's crazy. I get that he always puts on a show, but Dustin is more experienced. He's one of the best strikers in UFC. He lands nearly strict six strikes per minute. Not only that, but seven of his 21 finishes in his career are submissions. So if it goes to the ground, he still poses a threat there. I don't understand the hype around Chandler's name just because all of his fight bonuses and because of this and that. He doesn't fight to win titles. I don't ever see him really wanting to fight to win titles. It looks like he wants to fight for the money, and that's fine. He always puts on a great show, like you said, Jake. But, Jake, I want to ask you one question before I make my pick. What does pressure make? What does pressure make?
0: Pressure makes diamonds, man.
1: Pressure makes diamonds, and the diamond will shine bright this Saturday versus Michael Chandler. I'm taking Dustin Poirier here, Jake.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. We both have Poirier here. And for Michael Chandler, I don't know. I understand the hype behind his name. And I kind of like – I don't think it's smart what he's doing, but I like him as a fighter. He's one of my favorite fighters. I think he's one of a lot of people's favorite fighters in the UFC because he goes in there – not necessarily to try to win fights. He goes in there to bring out the best of the best of himself, his opponent, and give a performance that UFC fans will never forget. And I respect him for that. I think it's amazing that he does that. And he's more about, will people remember this fight five years from now rather than, hey, let me wrestle this guy potentially for all three rounds, get a win, and climb the rankings. And frankly, he's already fifth in lightweight lightweight rankings he's a win or two away from taking on islam makashev so i don't know i i like his strategy of going in there and giving us performance of the night bonuses type caliber of fights but sure in terms of his career it would make sense to go in there and wrestle dustin poirier which like i said is his only way to win
1: yeah i mean jake you're not wrong in terms of this is a contendership bout i mean yeah islam's next fight will 99 percent sure, going to be Alexander Volkanovsky, but after that, it should be one of these guys for number one contender, and so if he does win, he has a very real shot. I understand his power, I understand his high output, but he doesn't always rely on what he needs to do to win, so I love that he does put on a show always before the fights, during the fights, after the fights, you're going to get a show from him, and I do love that, but my thing with Dustin is he's he's an experienced fighter and his fighting IQ is so high. I don't know if he'll buy into it. Honestly, I hope he does because then people will understand what I'm saying when I say that Dustin is the best boxer in UFC because he'll be able to showcase that a little more. But in terms of, like, do I think Michael Chandler could be a champion right now? If he wins this fight, yes, but before this fight, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I think he has championship qualities, but he Until he puts the fight IQ together, I don't think he's going out there to realistically win all these fights that it takes to get up there in a title bout against Islam and potentially win that fight.
1: Yeah, but we both agree, nonetheless, that Dustin will take the win.
0: What do you think happens with the winner of this fight? Because Islam Makashev is obviously the champion. Mm -hmm. Seems like they're going the route of him versus Alexander Volkanovsky, probably in Australia Where would you put Poirier and Chandler in the mix?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, Dustin's at two in the rankings right now. So I think if he wins this fight, he gets a contendership fight. And I think if or he gets the next fight after the Volk fight, and if Chandler wins, it depends on how he wins. I think if he wins very dominantly, he could probably jump straight to that contendership as well. If not, maybe he has to fight a Charles, or possibly we get the Gaethje rematch, which might be kind of cool to watch. Um,
0: yeah, Gaethje is in a very weird spot in the lightweight rankings right now. Nobody really to fight him. Maybe Rafael Fiziev. I'd love to see that fight. But I think the direction that they're going in, and a lot of people are talking about it, is Charles Oliveira and Benil Daryush. Mm. And that fight, I think that fight is for the next shot at the title. If Charles Oliveira wins, I don't think he gets a crack at Mikashev again because Mikashev dominated Oliveira on the last pay-per-view. But I think if Benil Dariush beats Charles Oliveira, you look at Dariush's record, his winning streak, his credentials, I think the next fight to make is Mikashev-Dariush if Mikashev can obviously get past Volkanovsky and if Dariush can obviously
1: get past Oliveira. See, the fight that I want to see is I want to see Benil take on Justin Gaethje. That was kind of the fight that I made in my head. And that would be, I mean, if if Benil could win that fight, it would be pretty obvious that I would put him there. But if he can beat Charles, I mean, that's even bigger uh, if that's the fight that they make. But before all of this was made, when this fight was initially made, it was made as a number one contender fight. So I still kind of look at it that way. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is pretty fun right now in lightweight. When you know the title switches and now there's all these good fighters and all these good fights being made, it's kind of like Bantamweight. What do you, what's going to happen? It's hard to tell.
0: Yeah, it's exciting because Makashev obviously won the title. He is the champion, and now he has a fresh slate of guys yeah. and new opponents that he can fight. And I picked Oliveira to win that fight. Of course I was wrong. But with Makashev, I mean, he's got a ton of guys that he has not fought in the top ten that create such intriguing matchups for the future of the lightweight division. He's got to get past Volkanovski first, obviously. But I think Oliveira, Dariush is a great matchup. Do it in Brazil. And then you got Poirier, Chandler, obviously going down this Saturday. And then Gaethje Faziv, I mean, that would be a striking clinic. Book it, lightweight division.
1: There you go. I actually think Faziv got booked with somebody, but I'm not sure. Maybe I'd have to look it up.
0: I'll look into it.
1: I could be making that up. But let's switch to a different weight class, the straw weight, in our co-main event between Carla, the Cookie Monster, Sparza taking on Zhang, Wei Li. Jake, I'm going to give it to you. What are your predictions and breakdown for this co-main event for the straw weight title?
0: Yeah, Sparza, the LA native, she's 20-6. and She was the first ever women's straw weight champion in 2014, but her reign only lasted for 92 days. And now she gets another chance to defend the belt, which hopefully for her will last longer than just 92 days. She's on a six-fight winning streak against some great fighters like Alexa Grosso, Marina Rodriguez, Jan Xiaonan. And in her last fight, Rose Namunas, where she won by split decision. She claimed gold at UFC 274. In one of the worst fights, title fight or otherwise in UFC history, I'm not here to blame Rose at all. In fact, I think Esparza has a lot to do with that as well. Regardless, I think we can expect a more entertaining fight this weekend with Zhang Li in the mix. Esparza is good on the feet, but she really excels in wrestling. Her takedown accuracy is pretty low, but she's landed 10 takedowns in her last three fights and 44 total in 14 fights. This proves that she's skilled in taking her opponents down, but it makes me question how skilled she is in keeping her opponents on the mat. Esparza is also known to not be very active on the feet, and with her low negative striking differential, she better look to take Wei Li to the ground. For Zhang Wei Li, she's 22-3 and with 11 knockouts and just as many First round finishes after back-to-back losses to Rose Namunas. Whaley needed to rebound in a big way. And it doesn't get much better than a second round spinning backfist KO of the best women's strawweight champion of all time in Joanna Janjersik. Whaley is such an aggressive fighter. Not only does she average nearly six strikes per minute, But she lands two takedowns per 15 minutes of cage time. She's so well-rounded with a 60% takedown defense. And her striking has looked phenomenal lately, especially in her last fight where she landed 72 strikes in the first round. I'm going with Zhang Li here for UFC 281, and I don't think it's going to be close. When it comes to the eye test, Zhang Li passes and then some. I know Carla Esparza has made her rounds and is now a two-time champ, but Whaley has championship experience too. I think Esparza has a slight edge on the ground, but Whaley has a huge advantage on the feet. So much so where I think Whaley knocks Esparza out for her 12K over career, her second title reign of her career, and making another Esparza tighter run end before it truly
1: started. No, Yeah, that's a really good breakdown. Quickly, I was thinking of another Raphael, which is Rafael Desano's taking on Brian Barbarina. That's the fight that got booked.
0: Fiziev is wide open.
1: Wrong, wrong Raphael.
0: Put Fiziev against uh, <laughs> Justin Gaethje right now.
1: I'd love it. I'd love to see that fight. Uh, but, Jake, like I said, great breakdown. Carla, great wrestler. Averages three takedowns a fight. Um, 44 takedowns in her last 14 fights. Is that what you said? Yeah. That's a crazy stat only a slight advantage is what you're giving her.
0: It makes it makes me worry she can't keep their opponents to the ground. 44 takedowns is impressive, but you shouldn't be rattling off that many takedowns if you're actually keeping your opponents on the canvas.
1: Uh, interesting, interesting. Let me get back to to my breakdown here, but she isn't a great striker. However, she does only absorb 2.59 strikes per minute. That's very 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 low in the UFC. Um, one of which is due to her good defense, and two, because she keeps a lot of her fights on the ground, so she's not getting struck often. Yes, her last fight was boring, but you gotta remember the fights that got her there. She was on a five-fight win streak versus some really, really, really good opponents. Now, Zhang, man, Zhang is probably one of the best Muay Thai strikers in the UFC. She has great power in her hands and her legs, averaging 5.78 strikes landed per minute. She has also added wrestling to her fights. Now, her last fight with Rose, which she lost, she tried to wrestle too much, and that was her problem. That played a huge role in her loss. However, in her last fight versus Yaroshenko, she mixed in the wrestling and her muay Thai striking really well, and was able to get that win off the spinning back fist, like you mentioned. Jake, I just have major issues and worries about both fighters, which makes this fight really hard to pick for me. I'll say Wei Lai's first. Um, she's fought the same two people since 2020, and she went 2-2, two and two. both of the losses being to Rose and the wins versus Yorana, which one was questionable, and some people didn't even have Zhang winning. When Jane tries to wrestle too much, it does not go well. You can look at the fights. You can watch them. It doesn't go well. She can wrestle well, and when she you know, wrestles and mixes in her Muay Thai, she's unstoppable. But what has she been training for? She's been training to fight a wrestler, so who knows what her plan is. But when you look at Esparza, yes, she has really good defense, but she, she struggles to get fights on the ground. Her takedown defense is is not high. She only averages a 35% takedown accuracy. That's very, very low for someone who wants to wrestle. And while her control time might not be the best, a lot of female fights when it comes to wrestling, it doesn't really boil down to their control time where it comes down to just takedowns because a lot of female fighters are go- really good at getting back up. So it's difficult because I think if Shane gets sucked into the wrestling, she has no shot in a five-round fight. She'll lose every round that she wants to wrestle and it's it's weird because I think Zhang's a really good wrestler. But we're talking about Zhang, who's a striker first, who wants to fight a wrestler who's always been a wrestler, who's the best wrestler in her division. That's scary. But Zhang, man, has looked really, 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 really good recently. And Carla has been taking a lot of desperation shots, which is she doesn't want to do. That's the worst thing you can do as a wrestler. So with her takedown accuracy in a five-round fight, I think it's so close for me, Jake. I picked this morning, and I was it's basically like a coin flip for me. I think that Zhang will be able to keep it on the fight, or keep it on the feet, the majority of the fight, stick to her Muay Thai, maybe get a finish. But overall, each fight on the feet is going to be a win for Zhang Weili, so I'm going to take her here in this fight.
0: Wow, a coin flip fight for you in a fight that I don't even think is going to be close. I don't think that's happened in the history of us doing this podcast together. I really don't think this is going to be close at all. I think Zhang Weili is going to be so dominant on the feet where Carla Esparza is not going to be able to close distance and shoot for takedowns, at least as much as Carla Esparza wants to do. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Zhang Weili even out-wrestles Carla Esparza as well. And like I said, I have Weili winning by knockout.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agreed with everything what you said until thinking that Shane Whaley's a better wrestler than Carla Esparza. I don't
0: think she's a better wrestler, but I think she could out-wrestle Carla Esparza on Saturday night.
1: I wouldn't be surprised. The champ is a champ for a reason. The only reason she won is because wrestling, and the only reason she's gotten there is because of wrestling. So I'm not going to sleep on the champion. I, I'm tired of people sleeping on Carlisle Barza. I don't understand why people sleep on her. Yes, I do. It's because she had one boring fight, but you got to look at the fights before that. The reason that she got there, the reason that she is the champion today is because of wrestling, and that overall could be the deciding factor in if she wins or not. But... Nonetheless, Jake, we do both think that Waylee will take this fight. So, Jake, that means it's time for our main event for the UFC middleweight championship at 185 here at Madison Square Garden. Israel Adesanya taking on Alex Pereira. Man, I'm so excited for this fight. This is my main event. This should be the people's main event. The build-up to this fight is insane. But, Jake, I'll give it to you. Give me your breakdown and predictions for this fight.
0: Yeah, the last style bender. I'm surprised that you're more excited than nervous, Alex, because it's no secret that you're a huge Israel Adesanya fan, and I'll start with him. He's 23 and 1 with 15 knockouts and five title defenses. His last fight was a decision win over Jared Cannonier at UFC 276. Adesanya got a lot of hate for his performance in that fight, but it takes two in the cage to put on an, an entertaining fight and Cannoneer wasn't game that night. Adesanya trains out of city kickboxing, has a 79% takedown defense in case Baheda tries to take the fight to the ground, but Adesanya is one of the most strategic and unusual strikers there are. He has a positive striking differential, has landed 50% of his strikes all time, and has a long average fight time of 18.09 because he almost likes to play with his food with insane volume and power for Bejeda, he's six and one with five wins by KO and three first round finishes his last fight was a first round brutal KO of Sean Strickland also at UFC 276 ultimately it was enough to get him the title shot which I agreed with but I'm still salty over that fight since I predicted Strickland to win Behead's striking differential is insane as he lands 6.29 strikes per minute, but only absorbs 3.36 per minute. Obviously, he's known as a world-class kickboxer and has two head-to-head wins over Adesanya, including a KO in 2017 on Glory of Heroes 15. In MMA, there is one way to beat Israel Adesanya. That one way was illustrated by Jan Blachowicz, who wrestled Adesanya to a decision win. Beheda doesn't possess that skill. In MMA, I don't think there is such a thing as outstriking Israel Adesanya. Sure, you can bring up the kickboxing stuff, but this is 2022, people. Have you not seen what Adesanya has done since 2019 alone? Because since then, Adesanya has won eight MMA fights and become the second pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Since 2019, Bejeda has won three MMA fights, and if I'm being honest, he kind of got mainstreamed to the belt. I think he deserves the title shot, but let's not compare his run to the belt to other middleweight contenders. I think you know where I'm going with this, Alex, and where I'm going is saying at the end of UFC 281, the last bender is once again going to take a seat at his throne as the middleweight king of the world.
1: Man, Jake... Music to my ears. I'm just sitting here, big old grin on my face. That's a great breakdown. I actually do disagree with some of the things that you said, though, and I'm going to get into that. I'll start with Israel. My breakdown's not long for Israel. He is the greatest and recently most hated middleweight of all time, the last style bender, and that's because people think his fights are boring. And to those people, I would say, you're a casual. Please stop watching UFC. I do not like you. That is all I have to say about that. Anyway, I'll move on. He has some of the best feints I've ever seen. He's one of the toughest, most elite kickboxers in UFC, and he's clear pretty much everyone in the division. Alex, despite just his masculine, tough, strong, powerful name, is a very powerful guy. Uh, He has really, really good power. His kicks are crazy, but that right hand of his is scary. That's what makes him scary, and I'm not— I'm not going to sit here and try to break down their styles. Because it's simple. They're both elite level strikers. They're both kickboxers. I actually watched both of their fights last night. And then I watched them again this morning. So I have really have studied these fights. Um, some of the notes that I've taken. One is Israel switches his stance way more in MMA than he ever did in kickboxing. Which is only going to help him here. Because that means every time... Izzy goes to southpaw, assuming that Alex Bejeda stays in orthodox, Izzy is going to be able to see that right leg kick, and he's going to see that right hand coming, because that's what you're looking at when you're in those different stands. Another thing that I noticed is Israel's MMA defense is much, much better now than what it was, and I think that's partially due to him trying to save himself and not get into as many brawls um, because he wants to have a long career as champion. (sighs) <sighs> Jake this is so tough man this is really tough You look at Alex and not much has changed since his seven MMA fights ever you look at Israel and he has 24 fights in the MMA He's been there for a while he's going to be middle middle champion for a while and I think the last style bender will once again take another name in his death note. And just like the Undertaker, his streak at champion will continue until he beats Anderson Silvas. But I will tell you this, the reason I'm nervous is because Jared Cannonier, you mentioned there's one way to beat Ali, or to beat Izzy, and it's wrestling. The other way that we haven't really seen tested is that knockout punch. We don't really know how good Israel's chin is. Yeah, he's been squared up a few times but we've never really seen him take a power shot. That's what Jared Cannonier was supposed to do, and he didn't. He never even got close with a light jab, let alone a power shot. Alex Vejeda is the only kickboxer to beat Israel twice and knock him out. So he has that knockout power, and that's what worries me, Jake. But overall, I will be taking Israel here. I want to ask you a question, though. Do you remember my first ever podcast that I did up here for UFC? Do you remember what fight card that was?
0: Adesanya Whitaker.
1: It was before that.
0: It was before? Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: It was Francis and Cyril Ghan. That was the okay. first ever card that I've done here at Sports Power Talk Overtime. And if you remember, that was a very tough, stylistic matchup for Francis because this is another guy with a lot of power that's going to actually just strike with him. And Francis didn't like that. But yet again, the African champion retained his title, and he did it with wrestling out of nowhere. Nobody in the world expected to see Francis Naganu wrestle because he's a striker. He knocks people out. He's the baddest man on the planet, but he wrestles. So, Jake, I want to ask you, yeah, I know that Pahita's been training with Clover, but do you see any any place where Israel might pull out some wrestling here?
0: I could see it happening, especially if Adesanya does, does get touched up by Pahita and then he can resort to that wrestling. Obviously, in the kickboxing matches, that wasn't necessarily an avenue that Adesanya could take the fight in. Now, in MMA, locked in the cage, Saturday night at MSG, if Adesanya finds himself in any type of trouble, I think he could take Bejeda down, and I think he could actually be successful doing so as well.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I wouldn't be surprised. So, I haven't really heard a lot of people saying this point of view yet. Maybe it's still early in the week, and... Somebody will steal it from our podcast. But it it is an interesting thing to think about that if he does start getting touched up, I 100% agree with you. Israel might look to the ground. Like I said, Pajita is training Wicklover, a good wrestler, good BJJ. So that might even be interesting, but it's MMA. Alex Pajita is still very young to the sport, and I just don't see him being able to stick in there.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. And you mentioned – the power punch you're questioning Adesanya's chin I think that was a big storyline in Adesanya's fights against Canoneer and against Paulo Costa I think those were the big storylines and Adesanya passed those tests with flying colors so I'm not really worried about that and I have faith in Adesanya in his movement in his footwork in his in- insane and unique striking style that he'll be able to avoid those power punches from alex Bejeda. he and if he does get touched up like you mentioned he can obviously wrestle as well which i don't think alex Bejeda, one will be looking out for and two is going to be even prepared for knowing this is an mma fight and he's notoriously known as a kickboxer yeah i think this is adesanya's fight to lose and adesanya king of the middleweights there's only one person i think could beat him in the ufc but right now he's flying away with that division and like you said could be considered the middleweight goat.
1: Yeah, for sure. And to your point about Paul Costa and Jared Cannonier, it's not even to discredit those guys. It's that Israel knew that that's what those guys were going to come in and try to do, and he was able to defend the power shots. He was able to make sure that he put himself in a situation where they weren't able to throw those punches. So I think he can very well do the same thing versus Alex Pajeda. This Saturday night at UFC 281, that is the main event. Jake, I'm going to ask you one more time. Run through all of your picks for UFC 281.
0: Yeah, to start the main card, I have Dan the Hangman Hooker beating the Prince of Peru, Claudio Poyez. Of course, Hooker went down to featherweight for a while. Now he's back to lightweight. I think the old hangman returns this Saturday at MSG. Next, at Bantamweight, Frankie the Answer Edgar versus Chris El Guapo Gutierrez edgar is a ufc legend he's a hall of famer unfortunately though here in his retirement fight in front of his hometown fans i just think chris aguapo gutierrez is a dog and he'll be able to pick up the win against edgar next up the people's main event in my opinion the fight i'm most looking forward to dustin the diamond poirier versus iron michael chandler you mentioned it poirier is the best boxer in the ufc I don't know if I agree with that, but he is one of the best boxers in the UFC. And Michael Chandler doesn't fight fights to win them. He fights them to put on an insane performance that will live in UFC fans' heads forever. I really think Dustin Poirier is going to be able to win that fight by decision, if not KO. The co-main event, I don't think it's going to be close. I think Zhang Wei Li is going to beat the cookie monster Carla Esparza and leave Esparza on another short title reign and then the main event the king of the middleweights israel the last style bender adesanya picking up the win against alex pejeda putting those two losses in kickboxing to rest adesanya will be the middleweight champion
1: yeah i have the literal same exact list as jake so i won't say all the same exact fighters but I will say, in terms of the Carlos Barza-Zhang Weili fight, I do think it is much closer than Jake. So if there's any difference the entire night, it's, is it going to be complete domination by Zhang Weili or will Carlos Barza actually put up a shot uh, for this card? But I still also have Israel, the last stylebender, my favorite fighter. I have him on my shirt today, taking the fight in the main event and retaining his title so that is going to wrap it up for UFC 281 lots at stake this Saturday night at MSG and I hope you listening are as excited for it as we are once again I was your host Alex Henry and I was joined by Jake Murren thank you guys for listening and I hope you enjoy the fights this weekend